Well, welcome everyone to the table. <laughs> Well-oiled machine, as we always are. We're going to see if we can get that video going, because we're in the middle, nope, we're at the very end, tail end of a series that we've been calling Burn the Ships. And it actually kind of connects with my message, so I'd love it if we could see the video one more time. I'm Debbie Manning, and I'm one of the pastors here at the table. I co-pastor this community with Matt Moberg, who is uh, taking a little break, encouraged by his team to take the night off. Um, but never fear. Um, there's always a Moberg to be found, and his brother Ben is going to be doing words of institution for us tonight. Woo! And I'd love to just encourage Ben, um, as he has seen firsthand, we're, it was a little bumpy getting to this service tonight. We're out of sound guy and had some problems with our video, and, and then I was instructing Ben on what to do with words of institution. You should feel so confident that I'm your instructor because he walked up a minute ago and said, aren't I supposed to do the Lord's Prayer too? And I said, oh yeah, that's right. And I just wanted to tell you, Ben, the first time that I had to lead the congregation with the Lord's Prayer, I had what our family always calls is brain freeze. And uh, I got up there, and honestly, for the life of me, I'm like, oh my gosh, how does this thing start? My father? Thy father? Oh no, I could not, I could not. And everyone's staring at me, and it finally came to me. Don't worry, Ben, though, you got this. You got this. So... Is there a chance we can show this video, Patty, and have some sound to it? <laughs> so every week we come, <laughs> and there's just some little bump in the road. Um, <laughs> and I could tell, yeah, it was, it, we, had, we had it on, oh, it might be coming. We'll give it a quick second. If it doesn't work, then I will just move forward, and we'll... We'll, we'll see if we can get some sound here. Christian, are you up there? Okay, let's try it. If it doesn't work, we'll move forward. Go table. Like I said, we're in the last week of this series that we're calling Burn the Ships. And I got to admit that Matt's been preaching on it, and it is really, Matt is always this creative mind that comes up with these 
creative ideas, and I was just telling Ben before, I never really quite got it, but I had to look into it before I preached tonight. And so for those of you who were with me and didn't quite get it, or maybe you're here for the first time in this series, here's the bottom line. In the early 1500s, there's this guy named Cortez that took a bunch, like 600 men, to the New World. And when they arrived, he made his history by burning his own ships. And the message in that was that there's no turning back. As they got onto land, there was no place to go. They had to only look forward. And that's the message for this series, because we've been talking about us, our community, this gathering of people that have moved from Christ Presbyterian Church in Edina this past fall over here, and this idea that we are looking forward into this new thing that God is creating and doing in us. And I have to say, as I was looking at that video, because I watched it several times this last week, there was a phrase that really spoke to me personally, and it was this. As I walk into darkness, the contention of this world defies me at every turn. The weight of this burden beats me down and clouds my vision. And I have to be honest with you, the reason it spoke to me is that's how I have felt, have had moments of feeling both personally and in this whole ride with moving the table to Minneapolis. On a personal note, so many of you know that I lost my younger sister to, after an 11-year battle of, with breast cancer last summer. But since then, there's been this weight, this heaviness that I have felt myself carrying that I'm realizing isn't mine to carry around some promises that were made to her when it came to caring for her 12-year-old son, Riley. Now, my nephew, he lives in Boulder, Colorado, and... Um, he and his father and my parents and my brother and his wife, we all gathered this year at our home for Christmas. And what I realized during that week that we were all together to be together for this first Christmas without Leslie is that I was carrying this weight, this load. I kept feeling like if I don't remember Leslie well, nobody will. If I'm not surrounding Riley and taking care of Riley and making sure that the parenting's not just like Leslie would like it, that I'm failing. And somewhere along the line, in all this angst and turmoil that I had the whole week that everyone was there, I had this holy moment where God sort of said, what are you doing? This is not yours to carry. I've got this little boy. I love this little boy. And I've put many people in his life. You are not the only one to carry this burden alone. And to sort of put an exclamation on that, and to just show me what he meant, last week I had the chance to go to Boulder, and I, was, um, I flew in Tuesday night, and I surprised Riley. He had tried out for this district honor choir with a couple, other, a couple hundred kids, and he made it, and he had his first choir concert. So I got there. No one knew I was coming, not my parents or my brother-in-law, and I, I got er there early to the auditorium, and I was standing by the doors waiting for them to open, and <clears throat> a couple of people, choir directors and, and band directors, were running back and forth, and a and I stopped a young woman and I said, hey, I came in um, from out of state to surprise my nephew. And um, I'm just wondering, is there like a strategy as to where I should sit so I can see him? And this woman tears up and she looks me in the eyes and she said, are you Riley's aunt? I mean, there's a couple hundred kids in this choir from all over. And I said, yeah. And she said, I go to their church. I played the music at her um, celebration of life service. And I said, oh. That's amazing. She said, let me help you. I'm going to take you backstage to the band room where all the kids are being dropped off, and, and then you can 
surprise Riley. So she and I are standing there, and in the, in the middle of waiting for Riley, she tells me, you know, um, I was the one that kept pushing your brother-in-law to have him try out for this choir, which has just been this amazing gift in the midst of, of his own loss. And um, so we're chatting, and, and down this long hallway, I see this little blonde head come up. It's like a slanted kind of thing. Now, remember, he's 12. He's in seventh grade, and not only is he a little too cool for school and not into the emotional thing, but he has actually been far more like that than normal, I think, with my, losing my sister. So we haven't seen a lot from him. And that little boy comes walking up the hill and takes one look at me, and he just goes, what? And his face turns bright red, and with all his frowns around, he starts sprinting down the hallway. And he gives me the hugest hug, and he's tearing up. I got a glimpse. I got this one glimpse, and he's tearing up, and I'm tearing up. And Connie, this young teacher, looks at me, and she mouths, I have been praying for him for months. And in that moment, God was showing me, you are not the only one. Oh, yeah, there's lots of amazing people that I have put in his life to care for him and to love him. And this is not about you. And for some reason, that is something that I keep learning over and over again. And it's not unlike, I think, um, what Matt and I and even Patty and Christian have felt as we have moved this table community over to Minneapolis. Because there have been moments that we have felt beaten down. And it's not at all about the call. But it's what goes along with it. Because it has had this weight and this responsibility to the people that we love and we lead, and to the people where a lot of lives have been disrupted, and to the people that have been left behind along the way that we've lost. And it's been kind of hard and really amazing and kind of messy and a little bit scary. And the truth is, we often feel like we don't know what the heck we're doing. We've stepped into a call. And we keep stepping in, and God keeps affirming that call. But there are pieces to this that we just aren't sure about. And even though we know better, and even though many of you have jumped in along the way, sometimes we try to do too much ourselves. And we are very aware that this Jesus-following community, it's not mine, and it's not Matt's, and it's not Patty's, and it's not Christian. It's God's community. And he's called all of us to be a part of that community. So here's the truth, you guys. We are trying our best to keep looking at, to Jesus. We are trying our best to let go of what we should let go of. And we're trying to figure it out. And the realization over and over again is that we need you. You know, last fall, CPC was doing a really amazing series called Wisdom from the Wilderness. And it was a series on Moses. And one of the messages really hit me hard. And it's a message I haven't been able to let go of. It's a story out of Exodus 18. And it's the story about Moses and his father-in-law, Jethro. Now, Jethro hears about all that God is doing for Moses and his people, and he decides to go visit Moses in the wilderness. And he gets out there, and he hears stories from Moses about how God has rescued the Israelites from Egypt, how God continues to rescue the Israelites and all their troubles and their hard times. And the next day, Jethro goes out, and he watches Moses. He watches Moses sit down and listen to all of his people's problems, starting early in the morning and ending late at night. And he says to him, what is going on? What are you trying to accomplish here? 
Why are you trying to do this alone? And Exodus 18, 17 through 18 says this. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden to do by yourself. Oh, yeah. That's the reminder that I need over and over again. And I'm going to guess that I'm not alone because I'm not just talking about doing church. I'm talking about doing life and whatever it is in your career and as a parent and as a sibling and in your neighborhood that this is something we all deal with is that we're not supposed to do it alone. And sometimes it's because we're prideful and we think we can do it. And sometimes it's a control thing. And sometimes it's not wanting to put anyone out. But when we do it alone, we miss this opportunity for God to work at his fullest. And we need the reminder. I think the most important thing is what happens when we try to go it alone is that this mission that we're called on, we lose sight of it because it ends up being all about us and what we're doing. So here we are. The ships are burnt. We are in this together. And the beauty of this, this doing this together, this needing each other, is that we are a family, that we're claiming together that we belong to God and we belong to one another. And what we do know is there's something about this mission, this idea that we're going to practice the ways of Jesus, and we're going to create space for all to belong and all be loved. There's something in that that has touched us or moved us or intrigued us. There's something about that. And the connection is to why you're sitting in the pews right now. And what I love about our mission is that it's actually about just creating a bigger table, a table that we can extend and continue to extend until everyone fits around that table. And here's why it's right. Here's why we're more in that place. There's a rightness in it, and it's because that's the heart of the Jesus story, this ever-expanding hospitality of God. This radical hospitality says you matter, that your presence matters, that you are of great value to God and to all of us here. Now, I think there's lots of stories, right, that tell about the expansive table that Jesus always had. I mean, he sat at tables with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees and students and religious people. He sat with everybody. But I think there's a moment in the Gospel of John that really gets to the heart of Jesus' hospitality. And that's when Jesus gathers for the final time, the night before he dies. And he's sitting at a table with his students, his disciples, and in the middle of the meal, he stands up and he wraps a towel around his waist, and he goes around to every one of those disciples and he washes their dirty feet. Washing dirty feet was for the lowliest of servants. It was a dirty job. John 13, 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This gesture of humility was totally unexpected. I mean, it threw Peter into a conundrum. I mean, he was just blown away, freaked out that Jesus would bend down and wash his dirty feet. But I think even more crazy than that, what made this such a radical act, is that Jesus washed the feet of Judas, the disciple that would betray him the next day, the disciple that the next day would become his enemy. And in that, Jesus is making a huge point to all of us. He even states it, right? He's setting an example. And if we are people who are claiming to practice the ways of Jesus, we better listen up when he says this. We need to pay attention. So John Pavlitz, who wrote this book, The Bigger Table, says this about this passage, and I think it's important. The gesture is a living parable for us, a reminder to us that we are to be washers of feet, not only for those whom we deem worthy, or have an affinity, but also for those we are offended by, angered by, or disagree with. Those we are least inclined to welcome. And it means whatever caveat we would add as the condition to welcoming or serving another, be that race, sexual orientation, gender, political affiliation, those would need to be removed. This is what we aspire to, everybody. But I gotta tell you, it's hard. And I am convicted of it all the time. I was reading this as I was writing it out today and was thinking about how I was meeting with a young person about a relationship. That's what I often do in my pastoral care work. And it slipped out. I said, well, if he voted for Trump, that could be a deal breaker. What? I mean, talk political affiliation. Everyone's welcome at the table, right? I couldn't, I honestly was just like, oh, I am so sorry. That was so inappropriate. But in my own brokenness, the realization that I, too, do not welcome everyone to my table. And that means people who think differently, vote differently than I do. And I think that's so important if we want to have this big table, a table for everyone. But here's the beauty of this bigger table. Jesus' hospitality is transformative. It's transformative. It changes everybody involved when we gather at the table. And it's a hospitality that insists that we hear and we see one another. And when we know one another, there is no going back. That ship has sailed. Because when we know one another, it changes everything. And that's how our table gets bigger. So I talked a little bit in the beginning about... Um, we need to be in this together. And Matt and I are realizing that we need to even reach out further. And one of the things that we know is not our strength is sort of system and structure and these things. So um, Matt ran into an old friend, Jill Fox, who lived with the Mobergs for a while and connected us. So I had a chance to meet with Jill to get a little help on how to set up some of these great ideas we have. And uh, she was awesome and amazing. I'm actually going to go through some training with her. But she gave me a book called The Volunteer Church. 
And in that book, they describe what the church should be. And I thought about our community and how much this is a part of who we are and how we aspire to be. And here's the quote from Leif Anderson and Jill Fox in that book, The Volunteer Church. The church, a place where the lost are found, the tired renewed, the lonely find community, and the brokenhearted are healed. The place where the family of God worships together, the church changes lives, and those changed lives change the world. The heart of the church, large, small, and medium, are its people. And that's really what my message is about today, is that we are the church, and we need you guys to be part of everything we're doing. And we got work to do. And there are some moments where it's kind of tempting to look at what was, because it was a lot easier, a lot more comfortable. But we are past the point of no return. And this call to follow Jesus into the city to make space for people to love and belong, it's going to take courage, and it's going to take sacrifice, and it's going to take a willingness to love one another beyond our own abilities. But here's the cool thing. God's invited us to join him in, in creating the church, and we get to use our heart and our passion and our creativity to move this community into being a place with an expanding table. And what I want to say is, although we don't have a lot of things in place, we got the people and we got the heart, and it's amazing to see what people are already doing because we have a justice team, people who are passionate about the Jesus kind of justice. And not only learning about it, but how do we translate that into change inside and outside of these doors? And we've been introduced, right, to cultural competency classes and a sacred um, sites tour and, you know, so many things that are growing us and changing us. We have a care team. We have a team of people who are inviting others to join them that are going to walk alongside people when they're hurting, who visit people in the hospital, who sends notes that show that we care about one another. And every Sunday, whether you know it or not, there's a setup team. There's group of people that come a couple hours early and are putting the screen up and the candles and all the signs and making this place a place where people feel welcome. And it matters. And we have a team of people that are about welcoming people when they walk in that door. You know, when we had Nakima here a couple weeks ago, we got an email from someone who um, was visiting that wanted to come here in Nakima. And in the email they said, they were so grateful, not only for the invitation to come here, but the warm welcome they got for people that were greeting them at the door. It makes a difference. We've had people like the Hirschfelds that have stepped in and just said, hey, we'd like to start doing a monthly dinner just so we can hang out and know each other. And that's been an amazing thing. And we have a neighborhood engagement team, and Maddie and Tyler have started the work of what is in our community and some connections with Stonebridge and what else might we dream about as we get to know people. But we have these places, you guys, that we want you to plug into, we want you to engage with, because that's how we're going to be the church. So after worship tonight, you guys will all have a chance to go out, and we've got the leaders of all those areas who are going to be hanging out there. And if you want to hear more about those areas, 
what they're doing, what they're dreaming of. This is ground-level stuff. And we'd love for you guys to just go visit, have a conversation, know each other a little bit, and jump in. This isn't about that you're fully equipped. This is about that you have the heart to serve. So we encourage you to do that. This whole thing is, is going to come with a cost, because it is costly. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about our advisory team. We have this group of people that meet once a month and that are like really well gifted in ways that Matt and I aren't. So thank you, Jesus, for that, because they know things that we're just like, what? And it's been an amazing thing, but I think about this group of people who have a lot of little people at home, and they come here right from work, and they're leaving a teenager at home, or their baby at home, or their kids at home, and they do it because something in this mission has moved their heart. They want to be part of this, and it's sacrificial. So we're not saying it's going to be easy. I think it'll be a lot of fun, but it'll grow us and bind us together in ways that'll change us and change the world and move us in this mission that God's called us on. I think that everybody in this room is called to this moment in this community with whatever it is that God has gifted you in to be part of this. And we invite you into that. I'm going to end where I kind of started, you know, that video, which I really love. It speaks to the too, that we have in the church. And it ends with this. From the day I heard the promise until this moment, there's never been the slightest doubt that the God who began, began this wonderful work in me will accomplish it. Grateful to be in this with you guys. It's an amazing privilege, and it's been an awesome way to see God work beyond any of us. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we are so grateful that you are a God who's creative and just and loving, and you call us to follow you. Sometimes we don't know what's ahead, but God, we commit to keeping our eyes on you and taking just the next step. And we're so grateful that the beauty of the gift is that we not only get to do it together, but we're supposed to do it together. God, we lift all this up to you. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, Ben. Hey. <laughs> um, as Debbie was talking about community, um, a quote from one of my favorite Christian writers came to mind um, almost immediately, which was uh, from Sarah Miles, who said, you can't be Christian by yourself. Um, I think that's so true. Even when it's hard, even uh, you know, when we're butting heads with one another, um, <laughs> it's, it's true. We, you can't be Christian by yourself. Um, and one of the ways that we do community here is uh, every week we take communion. Um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And then he took a cup and he poured wine into it. And he said, this is the symbol of my blood, <laughs> the symbol of the new covenant. I'm a little nervous doing this. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I don't like talking about it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We love you. <laughs> uh, symbol of the new covenant. Uh, when you drink from this, uh, remember me. And so that's what we do. Um, we're going to have uh, people holding the bread and the wine um, and the juice on either end. And we're going to have gluten-free elements in the middle. Um,
Yeah, and so you'll take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then eat. Yeah. And I'll do the Lord's Prayer. It's yeah. come up. Stand and do the Lord's yeah. Prayer. Yeah, if you'll stand. <laughs> All right. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our 